Welcome to the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference podcast presented by ESPN and 42 Analytics. This is Jessica Gelman, who along with Daryl Morey co-founded and chair the conference with a fantastic group of MIT Sloan students each year. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Good afternoon, and I hope you're enjoying the 2021 Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. My name is Dan Borchick, and I'm a first year MBA and engineering student at MIT. And it's my pleasure to introduce our panel, The Case for Activism, Sports Impact on Society. Our panelists today are Sue Bird, four-time WNBA champion, four-time Olympic gold medalist, and point guard for the Seattle Storm. Stephen A. Smith, the host of the TV show, Stephen A's World, and featured ESPN commentator. Our panel will be moderated by Jess Gelman, CEO of the Kraft Analytics Group. The moderated panel will run for 35 minutes, and we'll leave 10 minutes at the end for audience questions. Please use hashtag sports and society on Twitter to submit questions to our panelists. And with that, I'll hand it over to you, Jess. Thanks, Stephen, Sue, great to be with you. You know, you guys, you guys are pretty quiet when it comes to speaking your opinion and your mind. So I'm sure we won't have anything to, to say. Oh, here comes Dan. So uh, I'll, I'll kick us off and, uh, and, and we'll get going. So we're looking back on what's been obviously a very tumultuous 12 months. What stands out to you? What inspired you? Uh, and what makes you think we still have room to grow when it comes to social activism? Um, Sue. Yeah. Um, it's, that's a tough question because so much stands out. I think, you know, what, what you've seen is, is athletes, um, not just speaking out on topics. I feel like that's obviously changed recently, but it's, it's kind of existed in the last three, four or five or so on years, you know, whether it's an NBA, I can't breathe t-shirt, um, in the WNBA, we had, um, very similar activism with t-shirts um, four years ago. But I think what you're seeing now that, that, that really spoke to me was athletes are getting more educated, more knowledgeable on these issues to have real discussions. And that's where the real impact, I think, is, is where you're seeing it. We've gotten strategic. And so I could get like so granular about moments, obviously seeing George Floyd murdered, um, hearing about Breonna Taylor's story. You can talk specific events and how they impacted things. But I think overall, the, the, the knowledge and the strategy that we're seeing from athletes, that I think is, is, is here to stay. It's what had a lot of impact and it's what's here to stay. Well, I definitely, <clears throat> excuse me, thank you for having me. I completely agree with Sue on that point. And I think it's incredibly important to point out the, you know, and highlight the word strategy because guys were, and, and ladies were being very, very strategic in what they were doing. You know, as an African-American in this nation, one of the things that we talk about in our communities and at times we even lament is the fact that although the emotional outburst that you will you that folks will witness from us clearly is justified because of the kind of things that we find ourselves enduring time and time again the fact that on too many occasions is devoid of strategy or a strategic response ultimately is what serves to hurt us and i think when you what you saw in the, particularly in the aftermath of george floyd's killing was that you saw strategic responses and you saw a collective effort. And on top of it all, you saw others who wanted to get involved and wanted to be activists themselves to assist in shining a light on some of the things that ails our society. And the reason they did so was because it wasn't just an emotional outburst. People were talking about 
forcing and provoking solutions to problems. And the fact that folks were coming together in support of that, I think it was incredibly important that they were highlighting their willingness to do so. It wasn't that they just saw wrong being done. It was that they were saying it was necessary to strategize in order to create the real change that needs to take place from a societal perspective. And the fact that we had an opportunity to witness that, to witness people coming together, talking about strategizing and planning and coordinating, et cetera, it just put into perspective how indeed we can be this gorgeous mosaic that we portend to be because people will join you in your fight for justice when there's an end game. I had the pleasure of being friends with the late, great Kobe Bryant. And I remember so many occasions where there was issues pertaining to collective bargaining negotiations with the NBA and its players and guys would take this position and that position. And Kobe would sit in the background. And even though he was quiet about it publicly behind the scenes, he was working his magic. And one time I just asked him, why he didn't speak up. And he said, and and, and, and obviously I'm going to paraphrase because I can't use his words was not suited for FCC airwaves. Okay. But he would make sure to explain, no, I'm not going to do that because that's counterproductive. You can't go to folks mm. and ask them to see your way and try to provoke change while simultaneously insulting them and throwing shade in their face about how they're doing things. You've got to be strategic about what you're doing. You've got to have an end game. You've got to plan accordingly. And you got to know what you want to do and what you want to accomplish before you jumpstart the process. And he was one of those people who was highly, highly intellectual and had a huge problem with folks that would just go out there and react emotionally with no game plan whatsoever. And so for me to fast forward to what transpired over the last year to see that that didn't happen. And it was more of a coordinated effort on the parts of so many to create change and to highlight and illuminate injustices that were taking place. It was a beautiful, beautiful thing to see, especially since the ladies were involved because you're talking to a guy that was raised by five women. So I happen to know that women are smarter than us. I really do. And so as a result, the fact that they were involved as well was a huge help. Well, I think that's a good point. I mean, you guys both alluded to the strategies and having a shared vision and that that seemed or felt different. Although I would argue that we potentially saw some of that in the past, but the, but the message wasn't heard in the same way. Mm -hmm. So Sue in particular, obviously you led the league wide charge for the W on the players wearing the vote Warnick t-shirts in early August. And can you describe how, what you did differently or what you think you did differently from a strategic perspective and I guess a little bit, because you were so involved in the CBA and maybe had this broader view from that, did that help you in some way? Yeah. Um, so this is really just going to piggyback off what Stephen A. just said, which is there's emotional reactions in this world of social justice activism. And then there's got to be a strategic reaction. And I think both happened. And what we learned from things like the CBA, from years like 2016, I just um, referenced in the WNBA, Minnesota Lynx wearing shirts, the police that were, you know, doing security that day walked out. Um, that kind of taught, what, what that moment taught us, that wasn't an emotional reaction per se, they, they were strategic, but we realized when it was 144, when it was our whole league, that's where our platform exists. That's where our voice is the loudest. So even though Minnesota did it on a one-off, New York Liberty followed, and we all eventually followed suit, I think what we learned in that moment was, when we're all together, 
And just to, just to give a little color on the story, um, we ended up, the WNBA tried to fine us. That's kind of the, <laughs> how the story got some notoriety for these t-shirts that we were wearing to yeah. bring um, awareness to Black Lives Matter. And once we all were on the same page doing it at the same time, they took that fine back. So it was like, oh, when we're all doing this, that's where our, like I said, that's where our voice lives. So as it pertains to Warnock and, and you know, us finding him, us supporting yeah. him, it was really an emotional reaction initially towards Kelly Loeffler, who wrote the letter to our commissioner saying, essentially shut up and dribble, take politics out of sports, yada, yada, yada. Um, so there was the emotion, but I think our previous experiences taught us, we can't just, you, it can't just be that. That's, that's, first of all, I always joke, I'm like, who are we to get in some political spat with a, billion, a billionaire politician? You know what I mean? Like, I don't have anybody <laughs> writing my quotes and like a political strategist, like telling me what to do. I'm not trying to get in that war. That's not something I want to do. But what we, what we realized we could do was, for lack of a better, flex in these different ways. Use, use what we came to the, to the wobble to do, which was to play basketball, but to use that as a vehicle to talk about the issues we wanted to talk about and kind of just redirect all of her comments back into those energies. And a lot of that was voting. A lot of that was voting for candidates that aligned with us and we found Warnock and the rest is history. But it's like you were in the, in the bubble or the wobble, sorry. And you were, and you had this learning from 2016 and we were also in a pandemic. Like, I, I do want to know, like, do you think the, the nature of the pandemic and the fact that we'd had that social isolation kind of leading into that, like how much of an effect did, did that have incrementally? Oh, you can't, I don't think you can talk about anything that happened in the last year or so without talking about what the pandemic did, force us to be inside in terms of the wobble. Like I joke, it was like, you know, we would send out the other part of it, by the way, is technology, social media, yep. group, you know, group messages on WhatsApp. You can't do them on the iPhone. God forbid you have that Android in there. It's going to ruin the whole experience. So we had to take it to WhatsApp. So you've got the group chat and like, we were all in the wobble. So it was like, hey, we have this Zoom at 8 p.m. tonight. I know you're not doing anything because we're all in quarantine right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? So everybody get on this Zoom. So I think it was 100% conducive to getting this done. It would have been way harder if we were in separate cities just because of logistics. Logistics is, is a big problem when it comes to these things and being organized and strategic. Yeah. So not having to fight that was a huge help. So you referenced the shut up and dribble. Obviously that was a quote. It was also the name of a movie that, or a movie, a, a Showtime special that Maverick Carter and LeBron James did. And they highlighted during that uh, some of the efforts that Craig Hodges did with the Bulls, which you know I actually grew up a Bulls fan and had no idea about. So every couple of years, there were these changes that were occurring, obviously Colin Kaepernick. And so Stephen A, from your perspective, you know, during your time, obviously being an, a vocal advocate for athletes and providing perspective, you know, what have you seen meaningfully change from the athlete's perspective? I mean, they actually in shut up and dribble. I thought it was fascinating that they basically did call out Michael Jordan for not using his voice at that time. And in today's day and age, how would that actually be received by his fellow athletes? Well, a couple of things. Number one, I, I certainly would, you know, even though I try to be uh, to be a voice for the voiceless and I try to give a voice to some of the athletes, I'm certainly not of the same accord as, as, as some of them uh, a lot of times. A lot of times I am, a lot of times I'm not, and I'm unapologetic about that. Uh, I would tell you that when 
you think about, for example, when they called out Michael Jordan, to answer your question directly, the heightened level of awareness is what they should be applauded for because they seem hell-bent on really, really knowing what's going on now more so than ever. But let's also recognize one of the biggest reasons why, because the communities they come from prioritize the need for them to stay connected to it. With the advent of social media and stuff like that, you've got millions upon millions of followers. Now you definitively have a voice. You don't just have a voice because you're a star and you're playing on a basketball coach. You literally have reach. And because you have that reach, there's more pressure to prioritize making sure you haven't forgotten where you've come from. And those athletes feel that. Their brothers and sisters, their siblings, their parents, the cousins, aunts, uncles, their friends from the community that they come from, things of that nature. That pressure is constant and it's persistent, particularly when it comes with athletes. If you talk to any of them, no matter what they try to shy away from, ultimately they will all concede. You always want to feel connected from where you came from. You never want to be viewed as somebody that's accumulated such a level of success that you've, you're detached from where you came from. And you just forgot about everybody and you've moved on. Hell, I wasn't, you know, I could shine their shoes. The, the, the men or the women could be quite honest with you. But because I'm on ESPN, oh yeah, people expect me to come back to Hollis, Queens. People expect me to come back to my alma mater. People expect me to come back from where I came from because they want to make sure I never forgot. So that pressure is always there and that much is true. But to specifically address the point that you brought up about Michael Jordan, one of the things that I do come to the defense of Michael Jordan about is this. He was playing and he was starring in a different time. Now you had the time in 1967 where you had the Cleveland Summit and you know Jim Brown and Lou Alcinda and Bill Russell and all of them showed up to support Muhammad Ali because he was ostracized and reviled as a draft dodger and things of that nature. And they stood up and supported him because after speaking to him, they understood where he was coming from, okay? But then from that time forward, you had Magic and Bird come about. All right, Larry Bird speaks for itself, but Magic Johnson was a black man. He wore this perpetual smile on his face people, they felt comfortable with him and all of those other things. And as a result, that opened the floodgates because he became a marketing whiz as well. And then Jordan comes along and Jordan takes it to another level. But in the meantime, you still had society as a whole, whether it was the agent and managers who represented you, team officials or owners uh, that oversaw the franchises that you worked under, et cetera, et cetera, the league itself and what Commissioner um, David Stern, God rest his soul, was trying to put together and trying to formulate you had to be sensitive to the times that we were living in. So now you went from Jordan to the Shaqs of the world, the Kobe's of the world, the Allen Iversons of the world, and the list goes on and on. And all of a sudden with technology, with the fact that you had athletes like Magic and Jordan and Shaq and others that were easily embraceable, it became easier for society as a whole to embrace you from a marketing position. And then you discovered that it wouldn't compromise your marketing and it wouldn't compromise your bottom line as much as you were led to believe. And that emboldened dudes in order to speak out and what have you. So when a lot of times when I'm talking to these athletes, to be quite honest with you, I always remind them of that because I said, these guys, you got guys signing for hundred million, $200 million now that are reluctant and hesitant to speak out on various issues. Last year, notwithstanding, still for the most part, they've been reluctant at times. So um, if you know that about yourself and it's 2000 and beyond, 
how are you going to look at a Michael Jordan that came along in 1984 and fault him for that? You got to understand there are times that call for certain measures and there are times that said no. And that's the society. Those are the challenges that you had to work out. You had to maneuver and you had to surround yourself with the right people to educate you enough so you would know better. Today, more than ever, they're more educated. In the past, you had people constantly throwing different things at them and they didn't know which way to go. And I think there's a, there's a heightened level of sensitivity that we should have all had about that. There's a couple of good points that I, I mean, I love the concept. You mentioned Muhammad Ali and you mentioned Bill Russell, who were just amazing champions and they massively progressed awareness. Right. And then like, did we kind of forget about it for a little bit? I don't know. I would say no, but it didn't have the same impact on an ongoing basis. And it seems like now is a time of like significant impact. But I, but and I do agree that it's potentially the social media where I want to take it a little bit further is you have many athletes, Sue, you included, who are now creating your your own broader kind of companies around content. And like maybe give us some of your thoughts there on having a significant social presence with I think you know, it's, what, I think it's brilliant. I think yeah, I think I don't have as much as them. I mean, I've only got about nine million, you know, LeBron's got <laughs> hundred million, hundreds of million. I mean, my goodness. But I, I would tell you this, it's just, it's a combination of a couple of things. Number one, it's the reach. Number two, it's the subject matter that you're allowed to tackle because you have support. I'm blessed and fortunate to have the support of Walt Disney. I mean, I got a monster support me. And you know, obviously that doesn't go hand in hand. I don't mean in a negative way because Walt Disney's happy place is Mickey Mouse. Okay, so we have to remember that. But but the, but the thing about it is, is that you've got a Goliath, a behemoth like Walt Disney supporting you like I have. That goes a long way. But how did that happen? It happened because of the people that I mentioned before. It happened because, you know, when you talk about Bill Russell, Lou Alcinda, Muhammad Ali, Jim Brown, those were very flagrant time. Any decent God-fearing human being knew that the kind of things that were happening to them was totally unjustified. We were living in a different time, like the new Jim Crow laws for crying out loud. And so as a result of that, that was a different, more flagrant challenge. And no one could look at you and fault you. They might not have wanted to deal with the problem, but they couldn't deny that you were justified in having a problem. Where things have changed in our society today, sometimes you got guys complaining. Like, for example, you'll see a guy making millions of dollars and he's bringing up how it's modern day slavery in, in, in the late 90s or the 2000s. Well, I'm here to tell you as a black person, we looking at him and like, what, what, what are you talking about? I mean, <laughs> that doesn't exactly go with what what slavery is, you know, you have a choice to play these sports. You have a choice to collect this money. You know, you know, you're talking about a, a slavery that, that you know, you, you weren't getting paid then. What, what are you talking about here? So you're thinking about things like this and you understand certain things are applicable, certain things are not. But when we talk about the advent of social media and then the production companies like I have and things of that nature, where that emanates from is this insatiable willingness, not just to control a message, but to manipulate it. And what you have is our athletes who want to do that. And you can't blame them because you have a lot of people in the media um, that are not on the up and up. Not everybody. He's got a lot of good people in the media and whatever. But there are some people in the media that are jealous, that look at you and are envious that you have things that they have nor could ever have because they just didn't have those certain gifts that they could monetize to that exponential degree. 
you have to take all of those things into consideration. They experience it. And so as a result, they said, okay, with social media, if I have 50 million followers, 40 million, 100 million, but the newspaper has 500,000 subscribers, who has a larger audience? That's how they're thinking. Yeah. And then if I have an opportunity where I can literally produce content, well, guess what? I get to dictate it because if I own a production company, you might be an executive producer of this product that I'm putting out, but I'm the boss. You yeah. answer me. And so then I have control over what's disseminated to the masses. And because that's the reality, that's something they get incredibly infatuated with, not to mention the fact that because they do so many interviews and they have so much exposure, they're exposed to the people who provide the exposure and they see the power that they wield. And if I am an athlete that's in my 20s or 30s and I see some dude, white, black, Hispanic or otherwise, and he's 50, 60 years old, pot belly, walking around, clearly out of shape, you know, look like he's about to keel over or something, but he's running the show and making money. I'm saying, wait a minute. So I could, I could fall out of shape. I could eat junk food. I could, I, 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 I might, I might not be that damn healthy, but I'm still going to be able to make money once my playing days are over while being able to control a message disseminated to millions of people. What can be better than that? They see all of this now. And as a result, it makes it more appealing to them because it's power and all athletes aspire to have some degree of power because on far too many occasions they have felt helpless because they were at the mercy of someone disseminating a message about them that they could not control. Yeah. So like what I ahead, hear, sir. what I hear is like the evolution of it all, you know, from the Michael Jordan scenario, well, taking Muhammad Ali to Michael Jordan and the evolution that hit includes social media and what's interesting, like from my perspective, um, when I first got drafted, there was like this box you were trying to fit in. And I think a lot of um, a lot of what we're talking about in terms of the activism and speaking out on these issues, they they were polarizing. And so for Michael Jordan in that time, in that era, to not speak on them, I understand it because even myself, 2002, not that long ago, not necessarily politics. I never really had that particular moment. But being gay, I didn't want to say that. I was scared. I was like, what if people don't want to sign me? What if I don't get this endorsement? What if I don't get paid in that way? And as it turns out, you know, 20 years later, two things. One, it actually pays both like metaphorically and literally to be authentic. Mm -hmm. That's huge. If you're not authentic, first of all, people smell bullshit. So they don't even like it. You know, you have to be authentic. And then now, again, because of social media, where we are, the way things have shifted, those same companies that maybe I was scared or maybe Michael Jordan was scared of to lose endorsements or whatever, they're, now they're getting held to the fire if, they, if they're not on the quote unquote right side of things. So now there is, there is to your point, Stephen A, like the power you feel as an athlete to know that that's now the new relationship between yourself and endorsement and companies and the world as that athlete, it's, it's, it's been this shift. And that's, that's to me is like a huge part of it is circling back actually being authentic is now the thing. Whereas for a while it was to fit in a box, not make too much noise and kind of go about it. Well, what are you trying to do Sue with together, right? I mean, this was, I mean, it's a different message, I think. Uh, Maybe share what it is that you're trying to do and how the four of you guys came together. Yeah, Um, so it's it's myself, Alex Morgan, Chloe Kim, 
um, and Simone Manuel and Manuel and it was Alex it was actually Alex Morgan's like baby so to speak and you hear about you know yeah second baby well, first I'm not sure which came first um, <laughs> you hear about you know uh, you know KD he has his own production company obviously LeBron's got uninterrupted and you see the I mean literally everything Stephen A said about that I would just echo. So all of that is true. As an athlete, you're starting to see this power. You're starting to embrace it. You're understanding you can have control of your content. You can help put other stories out, but none of it was really geared towards women. And that's where Together comes in. So now it's a way to basically, I mean, not to use Draymond's words. I don't know if we're going down this, down this path, but you know, he <laughs> talked about us complaining, quote unquote. And this was an actionable way for, for the four of us. And it's, we talked, it's the, the talk started over a year ago, it would have come sooner had it not been for the pandemic. And this was a way to like essentially put our money where our mouth is and, and do something about it and not just talk. You do. It, it's funny, you know, I bring up Draymond. He had valid points in the nonsense. Like there were valid points in there. He just came at the wrong people. We're not, we're not you know, he came at the wrong people. The things he was saying, there, there, was, there was reason there. He just came at the wrong people talking about the complaining. But anyway, little did he know there was already a production company called Together, <laughs> ready to go. What What is the response been? Because you had launched what, like a month ago? Um, yeah, no, it's been amazing. It's been amazing. It's like so many people have come up talking about, oh, this is the content we've been waiting for. Um, it's so nice to have easy access to it. It's so nice for it to be, um, the stories to be told the way they are. I think they've done a great job with the production of it all just keeping it fresh, keeping it new. It's sports, it's culture, um, it's stories you just don't get to hear about. And, and as we know, what drives a lot of sports, a lot of the business is the storylines, the storytelling and people getting attached to those things. And we just never really, we only get a small piece of that coverage. So this is just a way to help increase it for women. Can I say something real quick because- Yeah, I was gonna, yeah, I was gonna go back, go to you, go ahead, please. I, I want you to understand how powerful Sue's words were just a second ago. You know, if you take what Draymond said, like she said, he may have had some points, but he came at the wrong people and you're throwing out complaining and stuff like that. Well, I got news for you. Even though I was raised by five women, I could have easily made that mistake months ago, years ago, a year ago, two years ago, what have you. Because when I think about the NFL and I think about the NBA, no matter how popular these sports are, I think what has taken it to another level is the fact that women support it. So because women are supporting those sports along with the men, my mentality is women are incredibly important, potent forces in our society today that we don't pay enough attention to. But then I look at the WNBA and my thinking was it would be even more popular um, if women supported the WNBA more. But lucky for me, I have women on my staff and I actually listen to them. Lucky for me, I have four older sisters. Lucky for me, I had the pleasure of interviewing Sue and I know Diana Taurasi a little bit and the Maya Moores and the Candace Parkers of the world. And all of a sudden they open their mouth and they speak and guess what? I'm like that old EF Hutton commercial. I listen, they talk, I listen because I don't know. And because they had the passion the knowledge, and they cared enough to explain it. And so then that eradicates the excuses. If you listen to Sue and what she was talking about in 2002, there may have been issues she didn't want to tackle because of fear of whatever. 
But that fear has been eradicated in part because there are people who have shown a willingness to support and listen and also take it to another level. And now whether they know it or not, you have you 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 could have her her group all together. You could have Maya with what she's doing, Candace, it doesn't matter. If they speak, I'm gonna listen and I'm gonna make sure that I try to assist because I know they're right. And that's how you create the kind of change that needs to be made. But you could never have done it if they didn't open up and express themselves and bring you fact, not just passion, not just feelings, but facts and perspective to back it up on far, far, far too many occasions, both males and females, on too many occasions, you have people that get frustrated and they get silent and they think they're hurting people by disassociating and disconnecting themselves from the masses when in fact, you're doing exactly the opposite. You're actually hurting yourself because you're not getting that message out there that needs to be gotten pushed out there. Well, so here's a very interesting point that just kind of occurred to me. So when the W did all of their work and brought so much attention, now granted it was during the WNBA normal season, but the ratings went up dramatically. Mm -hmm. the, the NBA, obviously also very uh, active at the same time in different ways, by the way, but mm -hmm. also very strong their ratings were not as strong, potentially because the NBA was out of season or potentially because they're obviously very different fan bases. I mean, just looking for a little bit of perspective from it. Go ahead. Two reasons. It's very, very simple. Number one, no matter what society says as a whole, anytime black men are coming at you in a very forceful way to express themselves, society is going to get their backs up and they're mm -hmm. going a bit put off by that in some way, shape, form, or fashion. But particularly when you're African-American men in a league where the average salary is close to $10 million and you got guys signing for nine figures, you have a vast segment of this society looking at you and saying, what the hell are you complaining about? I know you done lost your mind thinking you got something to complain about. But they really feel that you have folks that really feel that way. We have to remember that 60% of the American populace is, is, is white. Uh, about about seventeen percent is Hispanic. You don't see a lot. You don't see a lot of Hispanic individuals playing in the National Basketball Association. You got another small populace that's from the Asian American community. You've got all of that going on. The bottom line is blacks make up about thirteen percent of the American population, but seventy five percent of the NBA body. And certainly that doesn't exist when it comes to executives. I remember one of the things that we pointed out was that Masai Ujiri and eight others uh, as black men were running franchises, but he was the only one in control. He's the only one that had final say. The other eight had positions and titles, but they didn't have final say. And so when you look at it, on one hand, you see the argument that players may have, but how you handle it matters. And I've often said this to them, you can't go up to people calling them everything but a child of God and then have your hand out for assistance in any fashion to them. How are they going to be receptive? Anytime you need assistance from others, you got to ingratiate yourself with them in such a way that at least makes them stand back and pause and consider wanting to help you. And when you don't handle it appropriately in their eyes, there's going to be pushback. And I think that's what you saw from the, as it pertains to NBA players. When it came to the WNBA players, I mean, you're talking about ladies that just know how to handle themselves in a lot of different situations. They know how to articulate themselves. They're incredibly comfortable with it. That's not to say the players don't on the male side, but some of the times there's an unwillingness 
because there's a level of baggage that you carry with you from the frustrations of having to deal with so many things on so many different occasions that you might have more of that than ladies or others may have. And that's what you find encountering you. And sometimes that serves as a roadblock and an impediment to what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, I mean, so what I have to say is not based on anything other than like opinion. Sure. But to me, two things happened for us in our season. One, I think our fan base already knew what we were about. They already were fans of us, either because they're women's basketball fans or because they love the things that we stand for. And as women's basketball players, I've said this like in multiple interviews, I always kind of joke that we would have loved to have shut up and dribble in our, in our inception. We would have loved to have played basketball and been judged solely on these things. We would have loved that, but we're always judged and always being to Stephen A's point, we do speak on these things um, with, with eloquence, with knowledge, because we've had to do it for so long. That's all people want to talk about when it comes to our sport. So again, I think our fan base, they already knew. So they didn't go anywhere. That fan base was, they didn't go anywhere, ride or die. And then we probably added to that because people were now seeing us. So that's the second thing. And it kind of goes hand in hand. We were on TV more. There was more opportunity just because of the pandemic. There was more opportunity to be on ESPN. There was more opportunity for our stories to be told in terms of what we were doing. And so people who had probably never tuned into women's basketball before were like, oh, let me check this out. Like, oh, dang. And I hate to use the word, it's like this got presented to us a couple years ago um, in terms of like what our league was about. And it's the word woke. We're way past that word, but right now it's relevant. And it's like, our league is a little bit of a woke league. And so now other people who, who are attracted to that, who didn't really know again about women's basketball, they now jumped on board, which is great. But again, you need it. We needed the, we needed the TV time for that to happen. So to me, that's, that's one of the reasons, again, like fan base, the OGs, they didn't go anywhere. Whereas maybe for the NBA, again, to Stephen A's point, kind of had people were like, wait, what are you complaining about? Again, not for the right reasons, but that probably, you know, maybe, I don't know, turned them off. Whereas I don't know that we had as many people turned off. They already knew what we were about, what we were doing. So we got a, a couple of uh, questions from the audience. Uh, athletes, they obviously all have been able to leverage your individual platforms in many ways, but how can the respective leagues help provide athletes with better infrastructure to support these efforts? For me, I can take this just because I am on the executive committee and our union, I will say, has done a tremendous job. We can use the vaccines as an example. They've yeah. done a tremendous job of holding Zoom calls where we can talk. We've had three or four of them where we have direct access to um, doctors to doctors of color especially because mm -hmm. obviously you know covid has impacted um, communities of color disproportionately and there's also simultaneously a lot of by the way shout out stephen smith a lot of credit for for going on tv and talking about the vaccine give you some love there i, I was very impressed by that um and thankful um but yeah it's just the way again it all kind of comes back to this whole being knowledgeable and I actually think the WNBA, I understand they're, they're a business and they're trying to run a business and they have to keep these things in mind. But you also need to understand that your players are your business and there's there has to be a relationship there. And I personally feel that because our league is still in its infancy, so to speak, 25 years is really not that much. We can't be, it's gotta be more kumbaya than like bumping heads when we have these negotiations, when we have these conversations. And it's about finding that ground. So to me, what the league can always do 
is, is, is try to meet us, meet us where we are. And we simultaneously as players have to understand the business side of it. Well, I mean, we're the, 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 well, I should say the delay in their response on the Arizona ownership. I mean, could they have done something different there sooner for you guys? Uh, oh, Atlanta. Yeah, Atlanta, sorry. Atlanta, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, so that was, to give the league some credit, I think we were in a position where we understood the louder we were, that was going to play into, into her hands. So we yeah. all needed to quiet down. Like for real, the league included. They couldn't just kick her out. Imagine they, oh, cancel culture. Ah, oh, the whole place would not work. <laughs> they couldn't just kick her out. So it had to be strategic on their side too. That's, see, that's exactly where I was going because that's what I'm talking about, the kind of stuff that drives me crazy because what Sue just highlighted, you don't know how many times I've clamored for guys on the football or the basketball side to think just like that, to literally be emotional to be upset, to be disgusted, but then to stop yourself in your tracks because you know, if you keep going this route, you're gonna help her cause and probably get her reelected. That's what I'm talking about, that strategy. And so, and it brings me to, to the answer to your question. You wanna, re, you wanna really see how leagues can create change. And I said this during the whole, you know, during the whole uh, protest and the racial uproars and what have you, you know something? You had white America saying, we're listening. We hear you. What can we do? This is some egregious stuff that's been going on. You had commissioners listening to you. You had owners listening to you. You know where they have power? How about Capitol Hill? How about taking, how about partnering with them to move on Capitol mm -hmm. Hill for these politicians who always have their hand out, always have their hand out. How about saying to them, you know what? We got some money. We need you to vote this way. Isn't that what PACs do? Political action committees, CPAC and others. Now, you, I, I literally, and it's not that it didn't exist, but I call for the black pack. I said, these, play, these NBA players, you're worth hundreds of millions of dollars. You don't even have to give a quarter of that in a bowl collaborate, put it in a bowl, go up on Capitol Hill with the owners, go up on Capitol Hill with the respective commissioners and say, excuse me, this is how we want you to vote. You know what would have happened? We probably wouldn't be talking about the law in Georgia right now where we're having conversations about voter suppression. Now I'm not getting into, this, into the specifics because me personally, the one issue I don't have is the with you know them talking about voter IDs. I think you, you need an ID for everything. So I don't have a problem with that. I got problems with other stuff. Got problem with them being able to get rid of the secretary of state if you don't like the way he rules or you know having state government overtake local government. I got problems with that. But I don't have a problem with having with mandating an ID. Having said all of that, you know what the real problem was? The real problem was this governor that you had in office because he signed, Brian Kemp signed that in the law. You could have had Stacey Abrams. You didn't show up to the I polls mean. to vote for her. And if you didn't show up to the polls to vote for her, how can you fault things that transpire when you had the, when you had the prowess to create change and you didn't act on it? Last year, I remember when Kyrie and I and, and, and Steven Jackson with the All the Smoke podcast and Kyrie Irving and everybody was getting on me because I disagreed with Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving did not want players playing in the bubble. 
He said, no, we got more important issues to deal with. I said, are you out your mind? I said, the NBA, I said, the NBA has the license to literally rip up the collective bargaining agreement you just reached with them that's in excess of $20 billion. All of these contracts could be rendered null and void. Go back to the 60s. Go to a time before that. Go to after that. Show me a protest and a movement that did not involve economic empowerment. They all do. And you have it, and you're trying to give it away to make a point for two months? That makes no sense whatsoever. And by the way, you injured. You only played 20 games. Plus, your team ain't doing anything in the playoffs this year. <laughs> Sit at home back in December and they handle it. I didn't. What I'm saying is I didn't want him to get rid of his money. I didn't want the players to get rid of their money. And I wanted them to hold on to that economic empowerment, use that, their platform, and the visibility to get what you want instead of trying to make a statement by not playing. And you had people that were disgusted at me about that. I don't care, but I'm bringing that up to point out these are the kind of things when Sue is talking about what she's talking about, you're talking about strategy and taking everything into consideration, asking yourself is what's the bottom line? The bottom line isn't to express myself so they'll hear me. It's to make sure that you change laws and put forth indelible imprints and indelible impacts that will create change for generations to come. This is what they have the power to do. If you strategize, if you don't strategize, you won't get it done. What are your thoughts on Major League Baseball, you know, obviously moving the All-Star game this week because of the changes in the voting laws? I mean, is uh, that is that a repercussion of some of the work that the W did? Is that, you know, something they're reacting to because the NBA did similar stuff in North Carolina many years ago? I mean, I think it's the latter. I think it's the latter with the whole transgender issue in the state of North Carolina when they took the All-Star game and they moved it from there. But I will tell you this. Initially, I was in support of them pulling up Major League Baseball All-Star game from that. In the, in the days that followed, even though my position hadn't changed per se, I got a little nervous about it from this perspective. If you take the Major League Baseball All-Star game, the money that it would generate for the local economy could be compromised. So yeah. it, it, it did provoke the question are you cutting off your nose to spite your face per se? Now, I don't know I don't know the answer to that question, but I do know that when I heard how much money the city of Atlanta and the small local businesses were going to lose because of that, that gave me cause to pause because I'm like, well, it's, voter, it's a voter suppression issue. That's not gonna change because he already signed it in the law and now by taking the Major League Baseball All-Star uh, festivities out of the city, now you've compromised the bottom line for local businesses. So it's a double whammy. And that wasn't, I don't, I'm sure that wasn't my intent or anybody else's intent that spoke out against the Georgia law, which I did. So Sue, this question is for you uh, from one of the, the audience. And, you know, obviously in the United States, women have a lot more voice. So the question is, you know, even though it is diminished, how have you or have you corresponded with international athletes to help them promote their own social causes? 
because obviously you and helping them get their message out more effectively. Yeah. I mean, of course the world of sports, the world is, is what it is, but we always agree that, Oh, it's such a small world. And then you take the world of sports, it's even smaller. And you take women's sports, it's even smaller. You go to basketball, it's even smaller. And obviously I've played overseas. I've got a ton of friends that are international. Um, the, the name that comes to mind is Yelena Lachenka, who had a situation where she was um, protesting in Belarus. She's from there originally. She went to college here. I think she had a home here for a while, but was back in Belarus protesting. And she actually went to jail for like, I forget the amount of days, but was like legit in jail. And in those moments, I think we just all have that, that rally about us where we're gonna you know, help each other out. So that's, that's just one example I thought of, but you know, Ibtihaj Muhammad recently has spoken about, you know, the new, um, I don't know if they're laws or just maybe it might be laws in France about women and, and when they can and cannot wear their hijab. And it's ridiculous. So Ibtihaj, myself and Megan have a little group chat going. We're always, you know, talking, kind of just keeping that, that line of communica communication open in the event we can help one another. Because it's, I mean, the reality is whether we want to admit it or not, like the whole ally thing is so important. It just, it's just, it just goes so much further when it's somebody, when you're fighting for something, when somebody else where it's not their fight, get in on that. There's just so much more value. It, it's just, the voice is louder. So I think for women in, in sports, we're always very quick to, to lend that voice. That's awesome. All right. So final Final question here is obviously we've had tremendous momentum the past uh, 12 months. So where do you see maybe the next, what's next for athlete driven social initiatives? Is there something that you have in mind or that you've heard or, you know, some together that is brewing for a year from now, Sue? I can <laughs> Stephen see A, of course, jumping. Yeah. yeah Stephen A, when he talked about Capitol Hill, I can't, you know, I, that's where change happens. And the funny thing is I, people don't realize necessarily even the change that can occur with your local officials. So always, I feel like always having that in the back of, of the, the issues we want to attack, being strategic about that. I think the Capitol Hill part, um, I was actually on Clubhouse like a couple months ago and, and Michelle Roberts was on there talking about the George Floyd, George Floyd Act. And there's like a longer name for it, but that's the gist. And it was like, boom, like we should team up with this like the men and the women, NBA, WNBA, and that's still in the works, but that's awesome. one example of ways in which, you know, we can do that. I think for the WNBA, I don't know what the final, the final, um, I guess, verdict or say will be, but we, we were in conversations about the national anthem and what that means, what that looks like moving forward, you know, in our sports, is it played? Is it not? What do we do? What does it represent? All these things. Cause it is problematic. So that's another, another one that our league is, is definitely in heavy talks about. You know, from my vantage point, I just feel uh, an inherent obligation, the position that I'm in, you know, to help those, you know, that, that, that are righteous about their cause and to do what I can to disseminate the kind of information that they want disseminated. You know, oftentimes I tell people I'm brilliant because I know I'm not. I just listen to those who are and I follow their lead and, you That's know, I, true. I, I assist, I assist in any way that I possibly can. And, you know, with, with the kind of reach that, that I have, I do feel an obligation uh, to, to do those things. And I see where the players are going here. And I think that you're going to see them more active than ever before. And I think the person to give major, major props to is to LeBron James, because he's truly a leader. He's truly a leader when it comes to, I mean, you know, I know it's difficult for people to comprehend coming from me because 
I don't trust his free throw shooting. That that is true, but that has nothing to do with the man that I that I that I know him to be. He's a great man and he's a great leader, and I think that he's one of those individuals when you know he does sensible things. He doesn't engage in foolishness, the kind of things that can dilute the potency of your position or your argument as you're trying to move forward. Remember, and I often use these these, these kind of examples. You can have so you can be somebody with a just cause, and the slightest thing you do wrong that has absolutely nothing to do with what your cause is is what the opponents will use against you to try to minimize your argument and ultimately eradicate it because they have supporters themselves, and those supporters will lobby together to make sure that they debunk whatever you throw in their direction, and that makes him so much more important because he doesn't give folks the ammunition to do that to him, which is an incredibly imperative thing to bring up. And when he sits up there, he doesn't talk about just taking a knee during the national anthem or anything like that. He talks about actually having an impact in terms of his more than a vote movement. Think about what that does. He's trying to get more folks to the polls to vote, to make an impact where it really, really counts. And there have been many, many others that have followed his lead. And so for me, when I think about it along those lines, ultimately it transfers where I'm looking at a guy that's 36 years of age, I'm 53. If he can do it, why the hell am I not doing it? Why am I not doing my part to assist him, to assist Sue and others and what they're trying to do when we all know it's right? It's, a, it's an inherent obligation that I feel that we have and it's all hands on deck, it's all parties involved, just to make this world what we swear it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be a gorgeous mosaic. We're trying to be about peace and love. We can argue and fight and all of this other stuff, but I'm talking about you don't want civil war taking place in, our, in the streets of our nation. And the way that you debunk all of that and you eradicate the possibility is by making sure that your position is of a righteous nature and that people know you have an army behind you ready to do whatever it takes to stand up for what we believe is right. And when you take those positions and you're on the side of right and righteousness, I think it goes a long, long way, but it doesn't come without courage. And you've got to have courage and you've got to have the heart to do it. And that's really what it comes down to. Well, thank you guys both for using your voice to create so much change. Sue, call out to you. Your, your kind of goal is next Billie Jean King. Uh, and I think you're well on your way. And uh, Stephen A, thanks for championing all athletes and, uh, and moving us forward. Sue, you too, of course. So thank you guys so much. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. This recording is the property of 42 Analytics and may not be published, broadcast, rewritten, or redistributed without the express written consent of 42 Analytics. Any opinions expressed by panelists are their own and do not represent the beliefs of the conference, 42 Analytics, or the MIT Sloan School of Management. 42 Analytics Educational, Inc. reserves all rights in the content.